Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. John Tyson is a, is a pastor in New York City in Manhattan in Midtown, and um, he is a gift to the church in this country, in the West, and uh, you are about to just receive a gift. Um, so Lord, I pray. That which is of you would become imprinted on our hearts. Would you give us expectant hearts? Would you, would you pull us, Lord, to the um, edge of our seat? Would you pull us to the edge of our seat as we hear the word exposited, as we hear um, the heart of a, of a, of a prophet? Open our eyes that we might see you, our ears that we would hear you, and our heart that we would know you more. Amen. Amen. I became a Christian in a Pentecostal youth revival in Australia. Amazing time. Uh, I started dating a girl, very attractive girl. I didn't want anything to do with God, but she did, and uh, there I am at church. And uh, it was, honestly, it was a little bit too much. Everyone was speaking in tongues, getting slain in the spirit. It was wild. I just remember thinking to myself, I think this is a cult. <laughs> but how bad can cults be? I mean, people join them all the time. <laughs> Sense of community, meaning, and, and uh, it, was, it was a wild time. I remember one time uh, they had a prayer meeting on the side. And I remember walking past and like, oh, what's in there? And I open the door and it's about 500 kids praying in tongues at the top of their lungs. And I was thinking, and it's just definitely a cult. Yeah, I think it's, it's a cult. <laughs> Don't mess with God. Six months later, I was leading that prayer meeting. Six months later. <laughs> I became a Christian in this revival and just a deep sense of the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, not the idea of God about his, his actual presence amongst his people. And it put me on a lifetime quest to try and answer the question, are there keys to spiritual awakening? Are there keys to revival? And uh, I, so I've studied revival. I've, I've read widely on revival. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions on a revival. It's, it's a culture of prayer. Yes, it is a culture of prayer. It's about holiness. Yes, it's about holiness. It's about unity. Yes, it is about unity. Uh, it's, it's many of these things. But the problem is everybody thinks they have the key to revival. You ask a Calvinist or a Presbyterian, why has God used you in revival? And they'll say, it was because our theology is so good. Deep theology, high view of God, sovereignty of God. It's not a man-centered theology. And Calvinist reform people have a ton of revival in their history. And then you get other people and uh, they're, they're Anabaptists, like they're super low church. And, uh, you know, of course God's sovereign, but they're just doing their own thing. It's like really low-key, really organic. And they have seen extraordinary moves of God. And if you were to ask them, why do you see such power? They would say, well, it's because we're so low-key and uh, we're so relaxed. 
Anglicans have seen tremendous moves of God. If you were to ask them, why does God move? Many of them would say it's our rich history. It's our liturgy. We live in a consumer culture and our liturgies, they hold us and they steady us so that God never disappears. Well, that's great. But then you get Pentecostals who have no liturgy whatsoever. They got, they got singing, a bit of clapping, and some teaching. And, uh, and Pentecostals have, uh, in the last 100 years, grown to the largest movement of God in all of human history. Extraordinary. So you've got Arminians and Calvinists and high church and low church. You've got Pentecostals and cessationists who've all seen revival. Now here's what it makes me think. There's got to be something underneath what we think it is. I wonder what that is. So I had this vision in my heart to do a trip, to travel the world, to see if I could learn, is there a key to revival? So uh, this is my family here, uh, somewhere here, my sweet little family. Uh, I felt like I was meant to do this trip, and I said, Lord, I don't have the money to do this around the world trip, but you do. My theology is very simple around finances. You ready? Let me give it to you. God's will, God's bill, okay? That's my theology on giving. And I was like... Lord, you're up. You got some riches in glory and I don't, and I need your account to hit my account real soon. So a man walks up to me and gives me a check for $22,000 and says, I was praying and I felt like your family's meant to go on a trip. Go wherever's in your heart. And I said, well, I think I will. Thank you very much. And off our family went. We went to 17 locations where the greatest outpourings in history uh, have come. It's really incredible. I was, at, I was in Hernhut where the Moravians started a 100-year prayer meeting on the August the 13th, on the day they celebrated the anniversary. I was in the chapel where it happened, taking communion with them. Went to where Wesley's chapel was, where he launched all of his movements. Went to the place in Fetter Lane where the spirit fell, that, that birthed really the second great awakening that came to the U.S. Went up to Jonathan Edwards' place. Uh, went to Azusa went to the Hebrides, went all over the place. And uh, I, I came back and everyone was like, what, what did you learn? What's the key? Is there a key? I said, I think there is. And here's the key. But let me, give, let me give you the key in one sentence. Ready? God comes where he's wanted. That's the key. It's about hunger. It's about desperation. There, you know this, God will bypass a thousand lukewarm people to anoint the one hungry person. God will bypass a hundred lukewarm churches and put his presence on a church that's hungry for his presence. God comes where he's wanted. And so that means we should have one response to cultivate an atmosphere of revival. You know what it is? Here's the cry. We want you here. This is why this meeting is an extraordinary meeting. When you've got 500 people packed in downtown Providence with that cry, God, we want you in our city. We want you here. Something extraordinary is happening. The level of hunger is rising. God is drawing people to himself. We are in a Joel 2 moment. Moves of God are all about timing. And if you don't have the right response at the right moment, you miss out. But you won't. You won't miss out. Because you understand this is a moment to lean in. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. There are seasons where God draws near and he just wants his people to draw near to him as well. This is one of those moments. And what the key to really getting that cry, Lord, we want you here, that key is about understanding divine timing. You can't let your personal season make you miss out on God's divine season. You've got to submit your moment to the divine moment or you can miss out. It is possible to miss out. That's why Joel 2 says, 
Let the nursing mother bring her child to the gathering. Let the elders come. And it's got this wild verse. It says, let the bride and the bridegroom leave their chambers. Imagine that, the honeymoon night. It's like, woo, we're going to the prayer meeting. We'll do that later. We're going to the prayer meeting tonight. We don't want to miss out. That's the kind of urgency that's needed. It says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Weep, mourn. Return to me with fasting, says the Lord. And when you get that sort of collective hunger, and that's what this is. And that's why this is so exciting. God comes where he's wanted. So uh, Andrew mentioned uh, the idea of altars. Uh, when I travel particularly to the Hebrides, where God really opened up something for me, I realized that to get a breakthrough in a region, you have to see a series of altars have fire on them in such a way for the presence of God to come in and sweep a region. An altar, let me give you a really technical phrase, okay? An altar is about memorializing theophany. That's a lovely word, isn't it? Like, what are you doing? Bro, I'm in the middle of memorializing theophany right now. Yourself? It literally means you build an altar to mark out an encounter. And you put fire on the altar to make sure the encounter continues. And most of the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you would walk through the Middle East and you would just bump into areas where there's altars being tended to by priests because people have had encounters with the living God. And I learned in my research that if you get fire on these four altars in a region, the presence of God comes in. The enemy is pushed back, strongholds fall, principalities bow, and manifest zones of the tangible presence of God emerge in human history. So here's the cry, four cries. The first one's the cry of the heart. The first one's the cry of the heart. If you get, you've got to build a heart consecrated to God. Deuteronomy 4 says, only be careful. Watch yourself closely so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. You meet people that got that first love culture. They're freshly saved. They're like, Jesus is amazing. And seven years later, they're like, no, he's pretty good. And then 10 years later, they're like, no, I think we'll just go to church. It says, do not let these things fade from your heart as long as you live. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's just hype. That's emotions. Not according to Jesus. Jesus said to the church in Revelation 2, you're doing everything right, but I've got something against you. You've lost your first love. That's what, that's what we need that cry in our heart. Psalm 27, this one thing I ask of the Lord that I may see, that I may see is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. And what God's doing right now is he's stirring a second thirst in his church. The first church is the church is the, is the thirst that gets you into the kingdom. And that's when you're like, you try everything the world's got and you're like, this ain't it. And that gets you to Jesus who says, come to me if you're thirsty and you'll never thirst again. But a lot of us have enough thirst to get in the kingdom, but we don't have that second thirst which gets us into revival. And that second thirst is when you get desperate for the manifest presence of God to fill your life. One of the, the things I think it's important for us to do is tend to the altar of the presence. Duncan Campbell says this, just because you're not seeing revival in your region is no excuse for, for you to not live in personal revival. Revival of the heart, tending to your heart. And so the cry we've got to lift up is this, Lord, we want you in our hearts. You're the temple. You're the place God has found. In Greek, it talks about us being the temple. It literally means you're the holy of holies. That means the blood of Jesus is so effective to cleanse you from all of your sin. 
You are so holy in the sight of God that He can move in and take up residence and manifest His presence. Is that the cry of your life? God, I want you in my heart. Look, I'm not talking about pastors. I'm not talking about pastors and sermon preparation and official prayer meetings. I'm talking about the typical person. I'm talking about the plumber, the construction worker, the teacher, the accountant, the person working in advertising, the person grinding it, the Uber driver, all saying, God, I want you in my heart. I want to be a walking tabernacle of the flame of God wherever I go. I want you in my heart. I got filled with the Holy Spirit in a butcher shop in Adelaide, Australia. I was like, I don't know if this Pentecostal stuff is real or not, God, but I know you're real. And if you want me to have tongues, glory, fire, and all the stuff they're doing in the services, I dare you, fill me now. Surrounded by dead animals in a meat freezer, the power of God comes down. A river of language erupts out of my inner being. I'm speaking in tongues uncontrollably at the top of my lungs. And all I'm thinking is, don't let my boss come in. Don't let my boss come in. Don't let my boss come in. What a cry. I refuse to accept anything less than the fullness of all of the benefits and blessings of the new covenant that is mine in Jesus. God, we want you in our hearts. Second thing, we want you in our homes. We want you in our homes. You know this, and I don't want to be alarmist, but you are currently alive at the moment of the greatest generational decline in U.S. history right now. Teenagers in the U.S. are the most religious people in the country, and 20-somethings are the least religious. That means in, that is the window. We are, we are losing a generation. This year, 1.2 million kids will lose their faith and leave the church this year. You are literally hemorrhaging out a generation. And, and I, I, how many of you would invest in a business with a 70% failure rate? I, I don't know anybody who would. But you know when our church does these things, when someone graduates from high school, we bring all the kids up and we say, ladies and gentlemen, this is the class of 2023. Everyone goes mad. But I want you to imagine and say, well, you know, 69% of kids lose their faith their freshman year of college. Now imagine I say, hey, can you seven? Can you just stand over here? Folks, let's have a round of applause for the kids who are about to lose their faith in the next six months because they weren't discipled properly. What would ha- we would say, you can't do that. No, it's happening can't do that. It's happening in our midst. We've got to get a burden for that. We've got to build altars in our homes. We've got to disciple our kids. We've got to bring the word of the Lord back to the home. Fathers and mothers, you've got to become priests again in your house. Listen, if you don't disciple your kids, Disney Plus will, YouTube will. TikTok is the number one disciple of young people in America right now. And so if we don't get a vision to raise our kids, it's a command. Deuteronomy 6. Two things you need to know to be faithful. There's one God and imprint Him on the hearts of your children. Ephesians 6, fathers don't exasperate your children. You can beat them down where they want to rebel. I'm not talking about that. But bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Psalm 145 says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. We've got a generation of kids coming up and all they've known is hypocrisy, scandal, and abuse. We've got to do something about that. I live in New York, um, similar to this. Not as nice, but it's similar. And uh, there's so much pressure on young people to succeed. Everyone's just ramming Ivy League educations down their kids' throats. 
These kids are stressed out. Their schedules are maxed up. Half of them don't come to church because they're so busy studying for exams. One pastor said this, some parents are more, put more emphasis on where their kids will go to college than where they will spend eternity growing up. So parents, I, I want to call you right now. You've got to disciple your kids. You've got to put an altar at the center of your home. So I, I have a friend who pastors in the Hebrides at the church without revival happen. He's an amazing apostolic leader. And he said one day God gave him a vision. And he said, revival's coming back to Scotland. He said, wow, wow. So he said, Lord, what does it look like? And he said, the Lord took him down a road to an old Scottish house and he came in. And there in the middle of the table was an open Bible. And he says, this is what revival will look like. It's going to be parents discipling their kids. Mom and dad, are you praying for your kids? I was a total hellion when I was 14 years old. Just wild. Had the police bringing me home. Got into a lot of drama in my high school years. And then something happened in my dad's heart. And here's what my dad said. I refuse. Something broke in his spirit. He tried to discipline me, ineffective. Tried to ground me, straight out the window. Tried to punish me, only pushed me further away. But something in his heart snapped and he said this. There's some prayers that God's given me, some promises from his word for this young man's life. And so very quietly, my dad spent two hours a day praying for me. And here's what he said, Father, in the name of Jesus, haunt John when he's at that party. Holy Spirit, hound of heaven, get him. Make him miserable in his sin. When he's at that woman's house, may they fight over nothing in Jesus' name. My dad, who's not Pentecostal, would get oil, put it on my pillow and say, haunt him in his dreams, Holy Ghost. He would go to my clothes and say, in the name of Jesus, I declare he is taking off the works of the flesh and he will be clothed in righteousness in the name of Jesus. My dad just started praying. Now, I didn't know this at the time. This coincided with me meeting that girl who's at that Pentecostal church. And my dad had this list of things. I pray that my son, that the word of the Lord will emerge in his mouth and he will be a man of God. I pray he will break up with any and all ungodly women. I pray that he will be consecrated to the purposes of God. I pray you'll give him a vision for the nations. And six months later, after my dad is praying his brains out hours a day, after I become a Christian, he comes up in tears and shows me the list. And my father has prayed me into the kingdom of heaven. And I want to say that to you. If you've got prodigal kids, it's not too late. Go get them in prayer. Go get them in prayer. Fast, pray, contend. We've tried that. Try again. There's fresh grace in this season. Try again. We've got to do everything in our hearts to give seed for revival to fall on for 100x soil to hit our kids' hearts. So we're going to lift this cry. We want you in our homes. We want you in our homes, Lord God. We live in a day, look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't have energy for that, okay? <laughs> but we live in a day where the government is threatening to take our children away from us and raise them how it wants. And the last stand of God's design in culture is the home. And you need to dig your heels in and you need to say, there will be an altar of the manifest presence of God in my home. We will pray, fast, honor God, raise our children in the things of Jesus. You've got to let that cry out, mom and dad. I want you in my home, God. Third altar, the church. The church. It's amazing how prayerless the church has gotten, isn't it? I love that quote from Jim Simbala. 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 I love that quote. God's not that popular in the, the American church. Pastors are popular, 
And God's not that popular. But he's getting popular again. Churches are just, listen, it's getting too hard to do church without God. We're just too busy. There's too much going on. There's too much work. I said at the pastor's gathering, most people come to church and the one person they don't think they're going to meet is God at church. They're going to hear a sermon. There's going to be some singing. There's going to be a kid's program. They're going to see their mates. It's going to be great. But if God showed up, they'd be like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I live here. What about yourself? (laughs) We've got to create cultures of prayer, not prayer events. I love an event if it pushes a culture. But you've got to build a culture of prayer because here's when the pressure comes, the event will stop. But if you build a culture, when the pressure comes, the culture gets better. The book of Acts is simply commentary of what happened between prayer meetings. That's all it is. It's birthed in a prayer meeting, then God does some stuff. Then there's pressure, then they pray again, and then God does some more stuff. And then they get resistance, and then they pray again, and then God does some more stuff. And then they pray again, and then God does some more stuff, and they do some stuff. It's just a whole series of prayer meetings that happen. And here's what church is like today. Do stuff, 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 do stuff. Burnout, backsliding, exhaustion. We've got to reset. The book of Acts is just commentary of what happens between prayer meetings. Colossians 4 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 Peter 4 says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Why? So that you may pray. Listen, we live at a time where prayer meetings are not going to be normal. Prayer culture is going to be normal. It's just going to be infused everywhere. Churches will become houses of prayer again. You've got to let that prayer out. God, we want you in our church. The power of corporate prayer. Listen, I don't know how to say this. You don't have an anointing big enough for this region. Your prayer closet's not big enough for the principalities that you are facing. It's going to take all of us. It's got to be corporate, united, steadfast, hungry prayer together. So you've got to build an altar and you've got to say, Lord, there will be fire on the altar of my heart. And you've got to pray, Lord, we're going to build altars in our homes and there's going to be the manifest presence of God in our homes. Then you're going to say, Lord, we're going to build altars in our churches and we're going to tend to that fire. Your presence will be in our midst. And then the hardest part, I think, honestly, is getting people to pray in a region. If you love Jesus and your family loves Jesus and you've got your tribe, you've got your people, it's very easy to go, well, we're on fire. That's enough. We're good. We're good. My people are good. You can even get prideful. Ooh, look at you. Oh. You don't do it as well as we do it. And then you, you actually begin to judge the people you're called to work with. It's going to take all of us. Most movements in history of prayer are held up because of pride and independence. Look what Acts 19 says. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to a coffee shop and uh, it wasn't one person like, oh my gosh, do you follow? Is that a Bible? I'm just checking. Yeah, it's a Bible. Wow, praise the Lord. Imagine if you just went everywhere and you got in the Uber and the guys got the Sermon on the Mount playing. I'm memorizing this. Have you heard this? It's good. Can you imagine everywhere you go, the word of the Lord spreading widely and growing in power? James 5 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
This is a principle. You, we read the Bible and we think, man, they must have been so special. And the Bible is like, they're so normal. They just knew a special God. And they pressed in and they hungered for him. And so you've got to pray this, Lord, we want you in our region. We want you in it. Do you want him here? Do you want him in Providence? You've got to intensify that cry. You've got to, you've got to determine in your heart, I refuse to live in a city where the manifest God, presence of God is not one of its defining features. They say there's about 500 people here tonight. I love that. New York City had a revival in 1857. And every day, 50,000 people came to the prayer meetings in New York every day. I want you to imagine every church in Providence and the entire region packed every day with people crying out for a move of the living God. Listen, it's happened before. It's happened before. You may be witnessing the birth pangs of that happening. You may be hearing the first sounds of rain off on the horizon. This can happen. We've got to get that cry. Lord, we want you in our region. I want to close just by giving you a vision of what's possible. This is a, this is a prophetic picture, so please receive this in your spirit. This is a picture here of the Atacama Desert in Chile. Now, this is the driest place on planet Earth, okay? This is where they send the Mars rovers to be tested for their functionality on Mars. And I look at that and I just think, I do not want to live there. There's just nothing there. It's just a ghost town. But the people who live there know every now and then something extraordinary happens. Underneath this desert, is over 200 species of wild flowers. But they never get enough rain because it's so dry. They get little dribs and they get little drabs. And there's never enough rain for them to germinate, to take off. So the rain comes and then nothing happens. The rain comes and nothing happens. It just evaporates, dries up. The heat is too great. But every now and then, something happens where they get a decade's worth of rain in a day. And when that happens, they call this a super bloom. This is a picture of that same desert. This is it. The whole desert is absolutely filled with hundreds of species of wildflowers. Now go back to the previous picture right here. Go back one slide. This is what your region looks like right now. And if you look at it through the, eye, through the natural eyes, all you say is the Northeast is closed. People are not interested in God. They're sick of, sick of dead religion. There's hypocrisy. There's too many other interest groups. The kingdom of heaven is not ripe here. But if you live here and you walk with Jesus, you know that under the secular soil of your region, there are tens and thousands and hundreds of thousands of seeds of revival. Souls just waiting. And they're waiting for one thing. They're waiting for 10 years worth of rain in one day. And the question is, is there going to be dribs or drabs, one-off events? where it comes down, but it doesn't saturate the soil and it doesn't germinate? Or is this beginning of a community of people who say, we will seek the Lord until, until He comes and He rains righteousness upon you? When I look at New York City, I don't see that. Next slide, I see this. It just hasn't happened yet. This is God's future on the way if God's people are willing to seek Him with a level of resolve. And so we've got to lift this, you got to lift this prayer up. This needs to be the anthem of your life. God, I want you here. 
I want you, come on, rain, rain down. I don't want dribs and drabs. I don't want to just wash my hands and get clean and turn the tap off. I want a river. I want, I want it to rain, 10 years worth of rain in a day. And here's the thing. Most people who go their whole life, they'll never see that. But the ones who've seen it, they know what is possible. And you are the ones who know what God can do. And so we're going to spend the rest. I hope you just get a little vision, the heart, the home, the church, the region, the cry. God, we want you here. And if that becomes the anthem of your life, I promise you God will draw near. It says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And this is one of those windows where God is drawing near. I just came back from the Asbury Revival. What was it like? An actual revival. It was extraordinary. We're seeing this. They shut the town of Wilmore, Kentucky down because it didn't have the infrastructure to contain people coming in for a move of God. But I want to tell you something. The roads in Providence are a lot better. You've been around a little longer. Your infrastructure is a little better. This is an easy place to get to. People could come from all over here to see the manifest presence of God. So will you lift that cry up? That's what we're here to do tonight. God, I want you in my heart. Lord, I want you in my home. Lord, I want you in my church. I want you in my region. So can we just bow our hearts before God in silence and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and to put that cry in our heart. You know, the Holy Spirit only speaks one time in the Bible. Do you know that? He only says one thing. You know where that's found? The end of the book of Revelation. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. That's the prayer. Come on, Jesus. Come on. So let's just open up our hearts. Father, we just invite the ministry of your Spirit amongst us. Father, we just pray that you would break off a spirit of apathy, break off a spirit of complacency, Lord. We pray that you would stir a spirit of desperation within us. Lord, we just ask that that cry would be the deepest cry of our heart. Lord, we want you here. Lord, we refuse on our watch to simply manage the decline of the Western church. Lord, we're believing for your presence to come. So we open up our hearts to you, Lord. We turn this evening over to you. We pray you would deposit something in us that leaves this meeting and becomes a culture. Lord, we pray you would rain down desperation, faith, hunger in this region. And Lord, this will be the start of something powerful, the start of something beautiful. Come Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.